Oh, shite on my tits. Yo, what's up, guys? This is D Tacos, and this is the Daily Taco. No, it's not daily. Stop asking me. Uh, we got a special one today. Um, this guy, guy, he's a dude. He's a man. You understand, men? You understand, men? His name is Jack Murphy. He is a former Army Ranger, former Green Beret. He's currently a journalist and an author. He's written uh, four novels and one autobiography called Murphy's Law. He also writes for Radio.com and ConnectingVets.com. He uh, primarily writes about like uh, veterans affairs and military and geopolitics and stuff like that. And uh, he's got a podcast called Team House, where or The Team House, where he... Uh, Interviews and talks to a bunch of like former military and former in uh, intelligence community people. It's a really it's a really fun podcast because like you really see the types of people that work in the military, work in intelligence, and you know the shit that they do for us. You know, it's some some pretty awesome stories. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, he told me he's definitely not CIA. Do I believe him? I don't know. Uh, jury's still out. Just kidding, he's the man. He's a good, good egg, and I appreciate him giving me the time. Perfect, he's perfect resources, like, for times like now. He knows what he's talking about. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, do me a favor. I'd like to talk to you directly right now. Can you like, subscribe, or rate five stars? No matter how you're getting this, whatever platform it is, can you subscribe and rate it? Do me that or like it if it's on YouTube. And, you know, maybe tell a friend. I don't know. See what happens. Uh, we also have another show called Fat Guy Sports Time. It's where three fat guys talk about sports. So it's pretty, pretty compelling stuff. And, uh, that's it. Without further ado, Jack Murphy. Enjoy. I'm, I'm originally from, uh, Sleepy Hollow. So okay. I'm Westchester. All right. So yeah, you're like a local guy. Yeah, you don't yeah. sound like a fucking trash can like I do, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But you get y'all again. Appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. Yeah, sure, man. Happy to. Um, what do you What do you want to get into today? I want to like first off, definitely want to get into like the QAnon shit for sure because it's just so surreal. Like you get, I get tidbits and stuff like that. I'm not as in the know, like in terms of like people who are like all about QAnon. But like you get the tidbits and shit, and it's just fucking wild to me, like how misinformation is spread so crazy you know like i just wanted to get like like what's the whole QAnon theory right like trump is q no no that's not it well no they they think q is like some sort of like deep cover intelligence operative right okay who's just doing this because like they want to save the world from pedophiles yeah basically i mean listen i don't like pedophiles either right but like yeah, I know. Uh, we'd rather not just live on the same planet with those people, but it's it's nuts. Yeah, that is crazy. So, like, in terms of like the capital attack or whatever you want to call it, those guys are QAnon guys mostly, right? Like, I'm I'm assuming different different groups, but some of them are QAnon. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent sure. Some of them are. So all these crazy groups are just like joining together to like back trump and like basically overthrow the establishment yeah yeah basically that's what it basically comes down to yeah because i get it like i get 
I watched a couple of videos, right? And there's this one hilarious video. I wish I could fucking name it. It's like a man on the street kind of thing. And he's walking up to like a Trump supporter, older guy, like in his 60s, the guy who's a Trump supporter. And he's asking, he's like, if Trump was right in front of you right now, what would you tell him? And the guy starts breaking down. Like he really feels bad for Trump, like Trump's getting fucked over and stuff. And it's like, I feel, I feel bad for the guy almost. He's 65 years old. So the guy's seen like he's life experience. He's not a, I mean, whatever he is, he's not like a dummy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's, he is a little bit, but. It's a cult. And, yeah. and you're right. Some of the people who are a part of that cult are good people deep down. Yeah. They're, they're victims in some ways. I mean, I think I feel like anybody, if they really paid attention, probably has people in their family, like extended family. Yeah. yeah. That sure. are. Absolutely. Maybe not full blown QAnon people, but are like at least like spreading a little bit of misinformation about like the election. Uh, they're they're like adjacent to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's so crazy to me. And like when you tweeted that one thing about, and I messaged you about like how it could be like deep, not deep, but like integrated into like law enforcement and the military. It's it already is. Yeah, that's wild to me. Yeah like how it could go so deep into it. Like, I just don't understand how, I mean, I get it. You're in the military, you're young, right? So you're pretty impressionable. I'm assuming when you're a young kid, not like when you're in your thirties, like you were an army ranger, you were special forces, green beret, right? Yeah. You did it for how long? I I was in for eight years, eight years. I mean, afterwards, did you do any contracting or anything like that? Not really. No. Um, so I've done some like in air quotes security work in, here in New York City. Sure. But I mean, it's I, I, I hesitate to even call it that. I, I, right. drove, I, I drove around a really nice old lady to help her do her shopping. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, really what it was. Because I remember where did I first see you guys? I saw you did like a round table kind of thing with a couple of your buddies from Rangers. Oh, many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first thing I saw you guys. I'm trying to remember the dude's names too. I, I don't want to like do them dirty. An old friend of mine, Nick Irving, was there, and uh, Clyde Carmody was. Uh, he was one of my privates, actually. In my oh school. wow, yeah. So that's the first time I remember like watching one of your podcasts, whatever you know. And um, what made you move from Rangers to Green Beret? Looking for something new to do, man. Doing the same shit over and over again. It gets old after a while, you know. Is it fair to say, like, Rangers, they're special operations, but they do, like, they do, like, perimeter security for, like, bigger, for, like, smaller ops, for, like, SEALs or, like, something more direct kind of thing, or no? A lot of people think that, but no, not not in a hell of a long time. They do their their own operations. They do. Mm-hmm. Where do you think, I'm going to be all over the place, because, like, what do you think about the Capitol? Like, what do you think about what happened last week? I mean, I think it's batshit crazy. Yeah. Shit crazy. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's nuts, but it's also kind of like the inevitable culmination of like where we've been going culturally, the dialing up of the rhetoric, everyone turning against each other. And the president kept, he, he, I mean, he keeps telling people like democracy is dying here. Like it is being destroyed. You have to stand up and fight for your country. And well, People went and they, what they thought they were standing uh, up for their country. Uh, you know? Yeah, it's wild to me, man. Like, listen, I'm definitely, I sound like I should be a fucking Trump supporter. 
I'm the 100% not. My boys do on occasionally call me a liberal cuck and stuff. And that's fine. Like if I want, I want healthcare for people. If that makes me a fucking liberal cuck, then so be it. Um, but like what this guy Trump's been doing, it's, it's okay. one. Yeah. What's that? It's not okay. Nah, man, nah. And I forget like just like the last two months with the election when in within and of itself is horrible. Like, you know, the misinformation, like basically eroding confidence in our elections. The last four years have been a fucking nightmare, like not been pretty fucking bad. And like people want to say, like, oh, it was a witch hunt after him. Like the fact is. They colluded with Russia, like, all right, maybe it wasn't Trump and Putin, like masterminding shit themselves, but like. You know, they felt like people went to jail because that Russia gate, that Russia shit, and the Ukraine thing was no bueno either. Like, it wasn't um, sexy, but yeah. So, like, I'm a I'm a heavy anti-Trump dude. You know what I mean? And I, I like I'm sure you like your former military, former elite military. You got like you just see like law enforcement. I know buddies in law enforcement that most people are Republicans, right? And a lot of them are Trump. Republicans like I feel like that's a little different nowadays like do you catch any heat by like talking smack about Trump on Twitter writing your articles about Trump yeah absolutely I I don't I don't write so much so many articles about Trump unless it has to do with the military uh, or or veterans somehow otherwise I I don't normally touch um presidential politics in in that sense but yeah I mean it's always been like that I mean ever since I've started and, you know, if you're a writer, people aren't going to be nice to you. That just comes with the territory. Yeah. You're going to be a journalist, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I've been called a Nazi. I've been called a communist. I've been called Antifa. I've been called all sorts of stuff. And I mean, that's just part of the job, you know? Right. Do you find it? Do you get any blowback from like people that you served with? Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. That's what's wild to me, right? Because you serve with these dudes, right? Like you guys have been like you're a ranger in Iraq and Afghanistan as a Green Beret too, right? Like you've seen the worst of the worst basically when it comes to it. And you served alongside these guys. You would think like politics won't really like fuck with that bond kind of thing. But I guess like as people move away from it. Afterwards, it does. uh, It really does. And that's the saddest thing maybe about this whole Trump era is the way it's divided friends and family and everyone else all across the country, including veterans, uh, you know, split in half. I mean, there's there's another veteran who just yesterday he he called me, he compared me to Goebbels. Yeah, it's wild. You're comparing me to a Nazi propagandist? Yeah. That makes no sense. You know, it's just so wild to me, like how polar opposite. With, especially with Trump, because like before Republicans, yeah, 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 whatever. Trump does something to people's minds. Yeah, yeah. What do they call it? Trump derangement syndrome. But that's what they say about people that hate Trump. I feel like, oh yeah, has it. No, the entire country has it. Yeah, yeah it's crazy, man. Because I hate the guy. Like I can't wait. Like I'm worried about inauguration, and like, just from what we saw in the Capitol. Like, I know, like, they beefed up crazy, you know, 20,000 National Guard troops and shit, but. I, I, don't, I don't think anything's going to happen in D.C., man. Um, I, I would be more worried about, like, state capitol buildings and things like that. Because that's like, that's like terrorism or insurgency 101, right? You don't attack the enemy where he's strong. You attack him where he's weak. Mm-hmm. So, like, see, no one's going to touch D.C. right now when they're at the, like, highest alert. Yeah. So 
they'll go hit something else. They'll go hit like, you know, the, the New York Capitol building or something. Right. That's a more likely target, I think. Yeah, if I'm like the uh, Pennsylvania Capitol building, like I'd be fucking, stre- you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like definitely the hot spots where like they, you know, the, the swing states basically from this year that have been an absolute, it's just crazy to me. And like, it's crazy to me, just the debate, not even debates that I have, because it's like I'm talking to a cult member. It's like yeah. the cognitive dissonance is at 100. You can't even give them actual like evidence, like photographic fucking evidence. They're not buying it. No, no. And, and I have, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly like right-leaning guy on a lot of issues too. Um, but like, yeah, when it, you talk to Trump people and they talk about Donald Trump as if he's their dad or, or the, like religious people talk about how they have a personal relationship with Christ, yeah. like a personal relationship with Jesus. You talk to Trump supporters and like, they think they know what Trump is thinking and what he's feeling like they are inside his mind. Like they are experiencing life as if they are in the body and mind of Donald Trump. And it's like, you don't know what he's thinking or what he's feeling. You just made that up. That's, that's in your mind. And I don't understand like the appeal, you know, maybe cause I'm from New York and shit. And I've known Trump for a while before. Like that's part. Yeah. You know? And like, Trump's like a failed business guy, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not like Bezos or some like actual business guy or like Bloomberg, let's say, who's like made it in business for real. I'm not saying Trump's not rich. He's rich, obviously, but it's like smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's absolutely that, man, that like people from New York, like we know who Donald Trump is and like no one ever really respected him. Like he, he couldn't be elected dog catcher in this city. He never could. I mean, no shot. And it's funny because, like, at arm's length, like, as Trump being himself, like, Trump, like, you know, business guy, whatever, fine. You can make your fucking political statements and do whatever you need to do. But it's a whole nother bag of crazy when it's like he's the president of the United States. Like, he's got access to highly classified information that he willy nilly just gives to, like, Russian guys in, in the Oval Office, like that whole thing with the ambassador and shit just giving them over like Israeli intelligence, basically like telling them offhand, you know, it's like a complete liability. Like that's the whole thing. And you saw it, I think from like Ukraine, when the impeachment, the first impeachment happened, there was like a mass, not a mass exodus, but there was definitely an exodus from like the state department and stuff like that. And I wanted to ask you like the last two years, even the top levels, right? Like not secretary of state so much, but the defense department, they've been like rotating fucking secretaries and undersecretaries for, you know, like we're in a bad spot, I'm assuming security wise. Forget about the fucking hack, too. Yeah, yeah, we are. You know, the United States has essentially demurred its uh, its global responsibilities, you know, and, and part of that is a, uh, a, a schism, a split um, in the American public. There, there's people who support Donald Trump. They don't think America should have global responsibilities, that we should pull everything back to the United States. America comes first. Sure. I think we should have troops in South Korea or Germany or, you know, wherever, wherever else we have airfields and we have military installations. So, and that's a, that's a debate that goes back to like, you know, you know, post-World War One and definitely post-World War Two. like what is America's role in the world? Should we have a role in the world? And, and we're still having that debate today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fair debate to have, to debate to have. I mean, I don't think it'll ever like, we'll never be able to rein back 
our projection. I mean, it's out there. It's not, and we need to feed the beast. The beast is the military industrial complex. You know, I wish it was like, oh yeah, we're spending 700 billion a year helping vets who like actually like sacrifice something for this country and helping like, you know, um, on like active military personnel, but it's, I mean, we're buying like fucking weapon systems and like the money gets wasted. I feel like. You're, you're right. You know, and I, I mean, America does have a, a global role to play. And if we don't fill that space, you know, some some pretty nasty actors will be they Iran, China, Russia, et cetera. But at the same time, you can't begrudge Americans who are scraping by living in poverty. Um, and, you know, their government is like two thousand dollar bailout check. Fuck you. Yeah, nope, you can't have that. But, you know, McDonnell Douglas and Lockheed, they can have that. Uh, you know, all these corporations, the airlines, they can get bailed out. We can give all foreign aid and, and, and defense dollars. We can spread out from, you know, Israel to Indonesia. Uh, I mean, take Pakistan a- too, right? Pakistan, like they're the biggest double fucking deal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they're in cahoots with the Taliban, right? The ISI, like they're, oh, yeah. you know. And, yeah. So if you're an American living in, in a trailer park, drinking a Coors Light, just trying to scrape by, and you see your government really doesn't give a fuck about you. Uh, you can't really be like, you got to understand why, why people are angry, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do we need that extra fucking aircraft carrier? Not really. I don't think so. Right. I feel like there's a balance to strike with anything else, right? Like if you have like good faith people in there, right or left, if you have good faith people in there, you can find a balance that makes sense that you could fill the holes that are out there right like it doesn't have to be one way or the other and yeah like you mentioned before like like there is socialism but for the corporations out there right like if you have a if you're a massive corporation you can get help no sweat Mm -hmm. and that is definitely the frustrating part for sure i understand like why trump was so popular with his message right like with the you know america first kind of thing during the swamp kind of thing I mean, he didn't come through with it, right? Bring the jobs back, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, none of that really. Ha- like, we manufacturing jobs are gone. Like, they're not going to come back. Corporations aren't going to bend backwards to spend more money on labor. It's just not going to happen. Like, and that's how we have. That's like pure capitalism is that way, and it's just what it is. Like, we have to learn to deal with it. Like, I don't think they should be. My friends call me like a commie. I'm not a commie. Like, I'm not a socialist either. I'm a social democrat, right? Like, I look at a place like Sweden. They're a capitalist country, but they have like like free healthcare, you know, and sort of most developed countries anyway, like in Europe and Canada, like they all got it except for us, right? Like we've learned to commoditize healthcare, which is a joke. And I, yeah, yeah, I think I think the way to I, I mean I'm as capitalist as anybody. I, I love I love the, the whole notion of it. Now we live in a country where you'd be like a self starting entrepreneur, um, but I, I think you one way to look at it to kind of like help people understand that argument is like, is it going to be cheaper for us as a country to have nationalized healthcare or to have a commercialized healthcare system? So it's like, again, I'm not a communist, I'm not a socialist, but if it's cheaper for us to have a a nationalized system, then fuck it. Let's just, you know. Well, think about it, right? You're running a business. Like I ran, I had a restaurant. I ran a business. I want to run my business efficiently, right? To maximize profit and maybe be able to pay my, my employees. So like you said, like whether it's like a, some kind of hybrid commercial slash yeah, universal yeah, yeah. style that makes it cheaper in the long run, it makes it more efficient. 
right? It saves money in the long run, right? So that's how we should think of it. But, you know, politicians don't think of it like that. that. They fucking line. First off, the insurance companies write the laws, number one. And number two, they're just lying in the pocket. They, that's all they care about is short term. They don't give a fuck about long term. It's a disgrace. Yeah, yeah. And, mean, and meanwhile, the American people get angrier and angrier and angrier. And then, and then when people raid the Capitol building, it's like, oh, how could this happen? Like, yeah. what do you mean? This happened. You've been ignoring these people for so long, and and they get angry. And you, the same thing with Minneapolis. You see right. the anger explode into in, in unexpected ways. I have a theory about like what the BLM like protests and riots and like uh, you know I was telling this like because everyone was screaming defund the police which can't fucking do. that's just so stupid thing. To, it's a stupid thing to even say. It just sounds good, I guess. It's like lock her up kind of. It's like that kind of catchphrase. Granted, police departments across the country probably need some kind of reform for sure. They need training. I'm, Jocko Wilnick, he's a, what you know who he is. I mean, he's like a, a Navy SEAL, whatever. He was on Rogan, and he said he's like, SEALs, 20% of their time is training. Like, why can't we do that with cops, right? Like, train them in de-escalation. And I had a thought, right? Like, back in Iraq and Afghanistan, the whole counterinsurgency thing. And it sounds bad to call your own population an insurgency because it's not. But the whole deal with counterinsurgency was get hearts and minds, right? It's, it's community policing. Yeah. yeah. We, you, like, we got to be able to use some of those pract- practices in our actual country, not, you know, in Iraq or, you know, in Fallu- you know, Fallujah, like places like that. We could use it at home. Not call it that, obviously, but. Yeah, no, it's community policing. It's the, the police are out of the squad cars, they're walking around and they're getting to know the community. They're integrating themselves into the community. And that's how you help dissipate that friction between the police and, and some of these communities around the nation where there's a lot of tension with, with uh, law enforcement. And that's a it's, a it's a very difficult problem to overcome. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a law enforcement expert. Don't pretend to be. Yeah. Um, but that, that's a very difficult problem to overcome. But I do think it's something we should work on. You think counterinsurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan was the right move? I mean, it was sort of the only move. I mean, our, our hand was kind of uh, called on that one. I mean, the, the, the other option is to just go old school like Genghis Khan and just genocide the country, just turn it into a parking lot. Um, I know people talk about that kind of stuff like over a beer, like, oh, how yeah. You should turn a rack into a glass parking lot. Like, okay, but get fucking real. Um, We're not the Nazis here. Uh, You know, we're not Imperial Japan uh, in Manchuria. Uh, So at that point, you're you're forced into a position where you're having to wage a counterinsurgency campaign. And and counterinsurgency is something that we don't do very good as Americans. Uh, We're very good at fighting. Whether you're looking at like an 18-year-old young Marine, uh, that dude likes to fight. Or you're looking at the, the military as a whole, as a, as a massive machine with tanks and fighter jets and bombers and all this cool stuff. Like, we know how to kick some ass. We're really good at that. But what you were talking about with the police, getting at, soldiers out on the streets um, and integrating with a foreign culture that we don't understand very well, we don't speak their language, that's something we really struggle with as a country. I mean, yeah, it's understandable, right? You're asking uh, military, yeah, you're asking the military to do something that's it's not trained to do. Yeah, and we're kind of like training on the fly, right? Like Green Berets, you guys train to like integrate with the cultures and stuff like that, and like kind of do that. 
counterinsurgency. No, I guess it's not counterinsurgency. It's what you guys have been training for, like trained for regardless, right? Yeah. And, and that's that's the argument that some people in special operations would make is that these wars should have been special ops wars or that they should have been special forces centric warfare where you have small teams going into villages in Afghanistan. And, and that should have been the, the nature of the conflict. Um, but whenever there's a war, the entire Pentagon wants to play. They want to yeah. bring out boys. They want to deploy all the troops. And they would always do these troop surges, like they're surging troops. Like some general in the Pentagon just gets a wild hair up their ass. and like, we're surging troops. <laughs> yeah. The, the military, literally, it's an institution. It's a huge institution, huge machine. And when they're faced with a problem, like an insurgency, and we're kind of getting our ass kicked and things aren't going the way we want them to, the military's gut instinct is always to deploy more troops. Right. Like, what the like, fuck? That'll do it. What, 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 so what? You deploy more troops, but what are they going to do? How is that going to solve the problem? Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's pretty ridiculous. And, you know, you can see here we are 20 years later. Yeah, 20 years later, right? And like the guys and girls that are coming home, right? Like you're cut above, right? Not that you don't you don't think you are, but you know, you went to Columbia, you got a degree. Like you're, you know, I'm sure the CIA tried to recruit you like shit like you're no. <laughs> bullshit. Come on, bro. You're a special force guy. You went to Columbia University, they didn't try to recruit you? No, no. They I, they don't really do recruiting that way to my no? knowledge. Okay. I have to approach them. But like you see like some of these people coming home that are fucked up and, you know, for what, for what really like Iraq to me at the time, right. When we went to Iraq, I was 18 years old. Right. So it was two years after nine 11, I saw the buildings go down and stuff like that. I thought about joining the military cause I wanted to kill some fucking Arab people. Right. That's what I wanted to do. And I'm sure that's why a lot of people joined up after nine 11. They wanted to get payback, not at all Arab people, but, you know, the reaction was super visceral. So you see it and then you see the Iraq thing. Everyone's down to gung ho to go to Iraq because we were lied to. But we just we needed a reason, but we were down. We were like, let's go take over the whole Middle East. Like, let's fucking do it. We saw how easy Afghanistan was. You know, Afghanistan, we didn't have a huge troop deployment. It was special forces. It was CIA. You know, and we beat back the Taliban in like months. But then, you know, whatever, the powers that be got their dicks hard about like, you know, government contracts and shit. And they went into Iraq. Iraq was definitely a mistake, I think. Huge mistake. Yeah, yeah. because it left a huge vacuum. That's why we got ISIS. You know what I mean? Like Saddam Hussein, piece of shit. 10 out of 10 piece of shit. I get it. But he he was there holding down like this crazy like sectarian violence that was going to happen right and he was like the in iraq there's shiite and sunni which was he he was the he was the one that was lesser there's less percentage of them yeah i'm trying to recall the whole history of uh of saddam um they were it's a it's a sunni uh majority country with and he was the other side he was shiite uh, as I recall, and um, I think Saddam came from Tikrit. Um, and we're, we're, we're playing trivia now, and I'm not quite prepared for this. Neither am I. I'm just I'm just running my mouth. But yeah, the, he, he was um, part of the Ba'ath Party, and yeah, right. obviously a, a ruthless authoritarian dictator. Complete asshole. Like, yeah, I mean, it's probably. I mean, I don't know if we're better off without him, because of what happened with ISIS and you know playing 
playing Monday morning quarterback, right? Like, is it better that he's gone and we went in there? Probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at all the carnage that happened after 2003 and then and then ISIS and, and everything, I mean, history sort of has a way of speaking for itself. Right. That. And um, yeah, so as bad as Saddam Hussein was, can we really say that Iraq or, or the region is better off, um, that, that, that really these people have been better off? Um, if, if we had more strategic patience as a country, we could probably have undermined the regime and, and uh, slowly transitioned them over to something more democratic. But again, that, that's not America. We like fighter jets and laser beams right. and, tanks and, and shit like that. Like we, we, don't, we don't play the long game very well. It's interesting. Yeah, you're so right. We're not because you got to think like with hindsight, right? In 2011 with the Arab Spring, you know, I'm sure there would have been protests and stuff like that if, if he was still in power and stuff like that, you know. Like you said, could have enabled the locals to do it. Right. Strategically placed stuff could have like done the same job. But instead, we went in there like 5,500 plus service men and women died. Probably, a, you know, half a million to a million Iraqi civilians died. Like, you know, it was a fucking fucked up. It's a disaster. Yeah. It and it's no, it's no better than it was before. So CIA didn't recruit you. I don't, oh. you're not in the CIA right now. No, <laughs> you're not Q. Dude, I, I'm in. I'm in Brooklyn. I am deep behind enemy lines. You I'm are deep a sleeper cell, actually. I know. That's actually genius. Yeah, you're right. You are Q, and you're just deep behind enemy lines. You just got your coffee from a coffee shop too, like from a hipster coffee shop. That's fucking mint. I got this from the Dominican at the bodega, man. All right, now a little bit more respect. Right, you didn't go get your fucking latte. Good. <laughs> I can respect that. When did you get out of the service? Uh, 2010. 2010. So eight years. So you were there from 02? Yeah, 2002, uh, right after high school and got out 2010. So you joined right after 9-11? Pretty much, man, as soon as I could. You know, I, I had to get my high school diploma. That was the only thing that slowed me down a little bit. I, yeah. I was in my senior year of high school when 9-11 happened. Okay. You mean two? No, I wasn't. I was a sophomore. Mm -hmm. I was 15. So when you started off, you went to the army, then Rangers. How long were you a Ranger for? A uh, few years. Uh, I, I went in on a Ranger contract. So I, I went right to Ranger Battalion. I was in okay. third battalion, uh, did a couple deployments with them. And then I went to Special Forces Selection in uh, late, late 2005. I went to Selection. How was that experience rough or you enjoyed it? I did not enjoy it. Uh, I, I came from, uh, it's speaking about selection. That's what you're asking about. Yeah. Yeah. SFAS. Oh, I, I came from, I was deployed to uh, Mosul, uh, Iraq. So we were doing operations all over there for, uh, for like three months, uh, three and a half months, came back. And then as a liaison to uh, Walter Reed, kind of taking care of um, helping to take care of some of the injured guys wow. we hospital and then i came back and they put me right into a training the uh a, a training cycle a training mission we were doing our airfield seizures for like two weeks so did that and then the day after i finished that training exercise went to special forces assessment and selection holy shit yeah i was exhausted yeah. by the time i finished that course yeah it, it, i won't lie it broke me off by the end of it i was hurting i mean I'm, yeah i mean it sounds like you didn't have a you didn't have a minute off no, no. But I mean, I was, uh, let's see, I was probably like 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're going to wake up and just keep going. Yeah, yeah. You don't know anything. After selection, where did they send you? Afghanistan when you became like a a proper Green Beret? Selection, then uh, you have to go to the Q course, which is the whole training pipeline for special forces. What's it called? What kind of course? That's right, the Q course. I'm just saying that's that's interesting. (laughs) I know somebody somebody brought that up to me the other day. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> You're cute, bro. It's fine. I get it. I won't say nothing. Don't, no, don't. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, finished that and then got assigned to uh, fifth group and, and got deployed to uh, back to Iraq. So you saw plenty of action, I would say. I mean, I definitely saw some action, yeah, during, during those deployments. Yeah, man, that's fucking wild. Thanks for your service, bro. You know what I mean? I don't think veterans are appreciated enough. They are con- like, they are on the level, like where you had a, a hockey game or a basketball game and stuff. They'll say something, everyone's clapping, and everyone's standing up. But that's where it ends. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one does shit after that. You know, I I think I think there's a lot of appreciation for veterans in the country. Um, what there what there isn't is a lot of like understanding. Uh, like, like you were kind of alluding to, I think is like, people just don't understand what those guys go through, uh, what, what they're experiencing overseas and then what it's like, or even what it's like to just be in the military stateside, because we have an all volunteer force. So there's, there's, there's the respect and the appreciation that's there. Um, but there's also that divide, um, because the public just so few people serve in the military that there's that big divide that people just don't really get it. Yeah. not their fault it's not that they're bad people i mean how how could you understand if you didn't experience that no shot yeah 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 i think we could do definitely more i mean just because the sheer amount of money that you know we invest in military which i get we got to do it right we got to keep be the counterbalance to china and shit i get it we could help veterans you know what i mean especially veterans vets that you know saw you know, action, like real deal action where it doesn't get any more visceral than that. Like I'm telling you the way I am right now, if I I knew it, if I went to the army and I came back, I would be a fucking disaster. I'd be a fucking mess, you know? And I would definitely be like angry at the government. Like, why the fuck are we doing this? Why am I going over there to kill these Brown people? Didn't do shit to me. It, uh, it it depends, man. Uh, Um, all of those sorts of like experiences are so personal and singular to the individual, you know, and, and I consider myself very lucky because I never did anything that I felt was like morally wrong on a personal level. Um, I never, I also, I, I mean, of all the deployments I went on, we saw a lot of action. The first deployment to Afghanistan, we lost a guy in a vehicle accident, a rollover, um, Second deployment, we had a whole bunch of soldiers injured from the enemy throwing uh, hand grenades down on top of us, but no one was killed. Everyone right. came alive. My third deployment, um, some, of the, some of the guys on my team got injured um, in an IED. No one got killed. So if I had friends who had died in front of me, like you, you see your best friend cut in half by an IED, like I don't even have to guess. Like I know I would be fucked up about that. I would have a really difficult time, mm-hmm. but. I had this incredibly fortunate experience that I went through all this. I barely had a scratch on me personally. I never, I like hardly anything ever happened to me. Um, I never had to like that horrible experience of seeing a friend or a teammate killed. Um, so it, it, it's easy to have like some sort of um, survivor's bias 
coming away from like, oh, it's no big deal, you know, right. whatever. But no, I mean, there are other people who experience things differently, who had different experiences, who saw things differently. Um, I know, I know friends, I, I, I have close friends who have killed children in, in Iraq and, they, and it was accidental in Afghanistan also talking about like running people over with vehicles accidentally doing explosive breaching blowing down the door and you don't know who's on the other side of the door yeah and of course you're going to be fucked up about that how how could you not be you know and so a lot of guys have post-traumatic stress um the the whole deal with traumatic brain injury is something that like we're just sort of starting to grapple with and understand um in in the last couple years and TBI is related to so much stuff. It, it has an interplay with PTSD and everything else. Um, so yeah, you're right, man. A lot of guys are hurting and they need help that they're not necessarily getting. And as a country, we're not necessarily grappling with it very well, um, as, as hard as we try. Right. Yeah, I think the intention's there for normal everyday people, right? Like their appreciation is there, like you said. All right, to get into the nitty gritty of it, right? Like the the actual treatment that somebody would need for PTSD and stuff like that. Yeah. It's the shit like people don't think of. Like, you know, thankfully, like the last 10 years or so, it's become more of something people talk about and like get rid of the stigma of, which is a good thing, right? Like the mental health aspect of it, which, you know, it shouldn't be stigmatized. Like we're all human beings, you know, even people that aren't in, you know, have been in traumatic shit like that have mental illness and stuff like just the roll of the dice. It's just how it goes. So yeah, we need to be definitely more compassionate and continue to be more compassionate towards that stuff. Yeah, man, absolutely. And and guys should not feel like, you know, it's a weakness. Uh, And some of the things like, like TBI and to some extent, some, some, I guess would argue PTSD also, it's not like you're weak. It's that your brain has actually been damaged. Right. Like, like you're there, there's something physical has happened to your, to your brain to change how it works. It, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're right. a weak person or something like that. And, you know, you, that, that's the, that's the flip side to it is the guys out there who are hurting. Like you really do need to go and like get help and do what you need to do, man. Because like your life, you, you can have a drastic improvement in life. And I've seen guys um, who are out of the military and, you can see it on their face. You can hear it in their words. They're just exhausted, just completely exhausted and just beaten down. But through going through treatment, I've seen guys make a 180 degree switch and really come around and just like, like to the point where it's like, you know, it's like the country song playing in reverse. Like the wife takes them back. The dog comes back home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of the good things sure. start back into their life. Um, and it's just incredible to see. So, I mean, that's what I would say to anybody out there who's, who's dealing with that sort of shit that like there, there, there is hope, you know? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Like I have anxiety now, bro. And I'm just like some fucking like, you know, tubby fucking kid from Brooklyn. Like, you know what I mean? Like the entire country has anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) And like, listen, it was a real stigma, right? Cause I'm a Greek, I'm Greek. Right. So I'm like first generation. Yeah, yeah. So like we're like real traditional, I guess. We've taken like the traditions of like the sixties and stuff from here. Like it's gotten a little bit better, obviously, which is good. It's like good to like progress. But you know, it's like, you know, strong and silent type kind of shit. You don't really talk about what's bothering you and stuff. Similar 
definite parallels to most men anyway, like most masculine people, like dudes, you know, we don't really talk about our shit. And like, it's hard sometimes to communicate with your friends and stuff, even though they could be going through the same exact fucking thing. I remember the first time I talked to my boy about having anxiety. He's like, yo, I have the same shit. Right. And then like this veil is lifted and this weight is lifted. Once you like connect with somebody who's been through something similar and it's helpful, you know, it's being supportive of each other, especially when you're knowing what you're going through is like huge. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and you can talk about it or go and get treated for it. Uh, it doesn't mean that it has to be like your whole identity in life. And like, you have to like be talking about it all the time. Like, Oh, I'm damaged. I have PTSD and all this. It's like, no, man, it's just like, you, you handle it, you, you know, you deal with that kind of stuff and it, do, it doesn't have to become like a fundamental part of, you know, who you are. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it, that's definitely the way to doing it. Like don't make it, that's not your identity only, right? Like everyone's damaged. You deal with it. Like everybody else does, you try and get better. And that's just a part of who you are. Yeah. It's a part, it's a part of life, you know? And right. uh, I, I've had, you know, th- thankfully I haven't had any like r- real issues uh, in, in that regard. Well, I shouldn't downplay it either, but I mean, I'll say I've definitely had those high points and those really, really low points in life as well. And I've been through them enough times in life now at 37 years old. Like I kind of realized like, you know, you hit those, those dark moments, but like you can ramp things back up and get back to like a good sort of normal. Yeah. Like um, you know how to manage. Yeah. 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 You, you know, you know, you know, I mean, you feel it obviously when you're down in the shit, yeah. but you know, you also know you keep working at things and, and stuff will turn around eventually. Absolutely. And I think what's taken for granted a lot from people, I think in general and for sure, like vets, right? Because like most people in the military who've seen action, like they've had big responsibilities, right? Like for, you know, they've, those, however long you've been in the service, you have some huge responsibilities and you come back here and like they're gone, right? And then you kind of like, lost a little bit and i've been there you know what i mean everyone i feel like has been there and once you find something to do like a purpose like something meaningful that like anything whatever you can get your sink your teeth into that drives you every day i think that's a huge yeah that's help. that's find, find something that you that you love and that interests you and you know i had the problem when i got out of the military speaking to that is um that i found and i realized in retrospect what I was doing was overworking myself to try to keep up that like high level of adrenaline. You know, like I was so addicted to it and so used to being like in combat, training for combat, being in that mindset all the time. Like I was out of the military. I was a full-time college student. Uh, I was with a startup company. I was writing articles every day for this news website. I was writing novels. Uh, I was going doing media appearances. I was also a new father and a new husband. Uh, I was doing all of these things in life to try to like keep myself, like the tension ratcheted up all the time. And and it's no one else's fault except for me. I was the one doing doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it took me some time to like realize how to like dial things down and, and, you know, realize, you know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's, that's part of transitioning out of the military in a civilian life, you know, and, and also finding things, um, as opposed to the military where you're kind of told what to do. Um, when you get out of the military, I, I really believe people need to find things that they enjoy doing and that they like doing and give themselves permission. It's okay to do something for yourself that you enjoy 
whatever the fuck it is, if it's right. rock climbing or hiking, or I'll show you, you know what I, I, I painted this. Yeah. This is a model. And this is what I do at night. A lot of times when I'm just, just to like relax. I'm with it, bro. Hell yeah. Just, you just paint it. Like you don't like make them. No, no, I, I'm not, I'm not a sculptor. Um, so I just paint these things and it's something I do for fun, something I do that I enjoy. And I, I think it's important to find a hobby, you know, especially in this time of, uh, of social isolation. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, whatever helps wind people down. Right. I used to make like, uh, like model airplanes and shit. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. nice to just focus on one thing. That's like so meaningless and like menial everything goes away. Everything else goes away. Like, cause you're zoned in, you're like in the zone. Yeah. You're so focused on, on this one thing. And that one thing you're focused in, it's a project that has a beginning. It has a middle and it has an end yeah. <laughs> It's over Then you can put it up on the shelf and there it is, you know? So it, yeah, it has a sort of like meditative uh, state that you enter when you're doing totally. you do yeah. meditation or anything like that. No, no, I don't. Um, I, I used to do yoga, um, which is something I should probably still do. Um, because I mean, I think it's very, very helpful. Um, but no, I, I don't, I don't meditate. I haven't done yoga in, in quite a long time. I mean, listen, you, you are pretty prolific in terms of writing and stuff. I saw like your whole list and stuff. I want to read your, uh, your autobiography that I read, I heard a little bit of it. It sounds awesome. I definitely want to check that one out, but you've written like novels too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've written four, four novels, uh, in the fifth one that's halfway finished that people keep bugging me to finish. And I, I hope I can, I hope I can wrap it up in 2021. Have you built like a, like a fan base of the novels and stuff like the nonfiction stuff? There, there are some, uh, people out there who, who definitely read and, and enjoy the series and, and are heckling me, uh, for more, which I, I appreciate them. They, they keep me motivated to, to work on that. And I hope I can get it done for them. Yeah, man, listen, I think, you know, I mean, sure, getting paid for stuff is nice, but you kind of want to, you need that validation a little bit, right? Like you need that, like, you know, I'm doing this because people enjoy it. You, you always like to hear that. You, I think anybody needs that, right? Like you don't want to just be shouting into the void kind of. Well, yeah, that's you're you're speaking there to like the uh, the existential dilemma of any writer or, or any journalist. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> writers want to be read um all of them and anyone any if you're a writer that doesn't want your work to be read i mean you really got to question in the world you're doing with your life right um so yeah i i i'm very always flattered and humbled um that anyone would pick up any book i wrote and read it um that they think it's worthwhile um the same with with the the journalistic work i do um i i hope i hope that people get something out of it in a different sort of way than than the books i've written um, but pu publishing, especially online, it does feel like shouting into the void a lot of times. Um, even if you can see the statistics, right? Um, I, I, I've, I've written articles. I wrote one article. I was told it was viewed like 3 million times. So obviously people read it and they got sure. something out of it. But like as a human being, I cannot visualize what 3, 3 million people even looks like in my head. Like yeah, I don't wild. understand what that means. If, I, if you write an article that 500 people read it, or, or 5,000, I never really grasp. I never have like a, a firm grasp on what that means. Maybe, totally. it means. maybe it means nothing. Maybe it is shouting into the void. Yeah. 
other times, maybe it really does mean something. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's the existential dilemma of being a, uh, a writer or a journalist <laughs> in this day and age. I know that feeling kind of well. Like a couple of years ago, I was bored at the restaurant. So I wrote this script like six years ago, like a feature film script, and I made the movie. I just made it myself, like self-financed and all that. And we shot it over 20 days. It was awesome. Great experience and stuff like that. I'm happy with the movie. It's on Amazon Prime. Like I, you self-publish it, whatever, right? Because, you know, I'm a white, I'm a straight white guy. So I'm kind of out of vogue in terms of Hollywood. And this is like a, this is like a liberal fucking talking. And that's the truth, right? So I had to do it myself. I couldn't even get an agent to fucking take my phone call, right? So I just put it on Amazon Prime myself. And it got, it has like 300,000 views. Really? Holy yeah. Yeah. I think there's a trick to it. Like with prime and stuff is like, if you get a bunch of your friends and stuff to watch it, that first couple of weeks that it's out and rate it, it gets into the algorithm and it gets dropped into like in front of people where they can really like, you know, the randoms can see it for a first time indie film. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud of it. You know, like I didn't make my money back. I made some money, but nowhere near what I spend on it. Irregardless of that, like I knew that was going to happen, right? Like I knew I was going to have trouble getting into like bigger film festivals and stuff like that, which is where you can find an agent and maybe get bought or whatever. So I knew at some point, all right, this is just, I'm going to do this. And when I'm fucking 80, I made a fucking movie, right? Like it is what it is, like for better or for worse. And I'm proud of it for like my first movie. Like I'm totally proud of it. And like, so I know exactly what you mean. Like you want that validation. Like you want that kind of like, Hey, good job. You know what I mean? Like some kind of power, like that, that article was dope. You know, that book was dope. You kind of want, you need that a little bit to keep going. I feel like too, to like feel that like urge to continue to do it. Yeah. I I mean, you definitely, well, again, I mean, you're, whether you're a filmmaker or a writer or whoever it is, you want people to watch your film. You want people to read your books. And, and that's just the reality. And, it, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's not a bad thing to want to be successful in your field. Totally. I agree 100%. Like, it was so – I used to fucking worry. I used to be so pissed, right, when these fucking agents wouldn't hit me back or, like, anything. Or, like, a, um, film festivals would say no. And, like, this one – I'll, I'll shit talk them. I don't give a fuck. This one, uh, Art of Brooklyn, it's called. It's a Brooklyn film festival. And they say in the website, like, oh, we want to feature Brooklyn filmmakers who shot in Brooklyn, blah, blah, blah. Like, you get you get preferred treatment, they said. It doesn't get more Brooklyn than me. Like, I'm a fucking bridge and tunnel scumbag, right? It's through and through. So I wrote, like, I wrote them, like, you know, you write them, like, a little note beginning before when you, when you uh, apply. And I told them, like, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm born in Brooklyn, raised in Brooklyn. Like this is most of it was shot in Brooklyn. And they said, no, like they sent me back like a few months later. They said, oh, no, we're going with other things. And I saw the movies that they picked and I'm like, this is bullshit. Like I was so angry. I'm, forget Sundance. I get it. Right. Like, Sundance is crazy. Like they say it's independent, but they're $30 million movies that go to Sundance, you know, but like this Brooklyn one, I really wanted to get into. And it didn't happen. So that was like a big, like kicking the balls, you know, and like, just like everybody gets them. Everyone has. What's that? Why didn't they want it? They don't give you a, they don't give you a reason. They just say like, you know, it's a great movie, blah, blah, blah. And they offer like, Hey, do you want to put it on our on demand channel or Brooklyn? I'm like, no, like you're going to pay me. 
they're like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to give you this shit for free. I'm not even in the fucking, uh, in the film festival. And like the movies that I saw that were in it, like the year before, there was one with Kristen Stewart in it, which, you know, Kristen Stewart, Twilight Girl, she's a big star. So even if she's in a piece of shit, she's going to be in it just because she's a big star. And then I saw the other movies, like a couple clips and stuff. I'm like, these are trash movies. I'm not saying my movie's fucking 2001 Space Odyssey. I'm not saying that. But it's a totally coherent, well-paced movie that's got a beginning, middle, and end, three acts. Like, it's legit. And And it's from Brooklyn. And I was just pissed on that specifically. So, like, you do hit those fucking speed bumps, I guess. And I look, there's there's gatekeepers. I mean, that's a thing. And, um, you know, in my in my corner of the world, I mean, experience the same thing. If I, I look at a lot of the uh, military thrillers, a lot of the, uh, the espionage or spy thrillers out there, the various novels. I mean, a lot of these books suck and they are written at, like they're written for five year olds. Um, but but I think that's that's also why people buy them and read them is because it's a form of escapism. You read it on the airplane or before bed. Right. It's, it's just kind of like trash fiction that doesn't really mean anything. And yeah. that's the point. Um, I, I'm sure it's the same thing with with the filmmaking industry. I mean, even even in, in journalism, mm-hmm. there are people who are hyped up as these star reporters. This is our star reporter. This person knows everything. Right. They, get it right and then this and then the scandal breaks then the scandal breaks and then you find out oh no actually it was all fraud uh this person didn't know shit about shit and what they had was really good branding behind them right right i feel like that's it that's most of the time it's just like the branding you know are you talking about like uh an example is like the caliphate podcast from new york times you see that I'm just speaking metaphorically. You oh, know. well, they're fucking scumbags too, right? Like, come on. Like, you're New York Times. What's your currency? Your currency is being truthful or, like, at least, like, you know, diligent in your reporting. It, it It's mind-blowing sometimes. Um, right? What, what, what I think is especially amazing is how badly some people screw up and they still have careers and I look at it and I was like, man, if I made a mistake like that, I would be crushed. I would, 100%. I would I don't think I would work again uh, because no, no one would want to, no one would give me the time of day. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know all the exact inform like the details of that caliphate thing. I know that the guy that they interviewed was just full of shit, basically. He was ISIS stolen valor, man crazy i mean what the f- all right i got that part but like they had like michael babar the guy who does the daily show was involved somehow i guess he was trying to cover it up or something to that effect i might be wrong no, but like know. but irregardless right like you're the new york times right the standard should be high like you're the elite of the elite right you're top of the i'm not saying they're gonna get everything right because they don't but still we need to be able to trust you guys you know, I, I don't uh, I don't have any firsthand visibility on that subject at all. I just know what I what I've read in The Times itself and, and elsewhere about that whole scandal. And I, I can't help but think that maybe there is a bit of a sunk cost fallacy in that they produced this whole podcast, got it like all the way almost to the finish line. And then they got this information that, oh, maybe this the, the guy that, that this the, this whole feature is based on is full of shit. And then they had to go and like backtrack and it becomes this thing like 
you're looking for something in a not objective way because you right. have the cost. So like you're going to try to backstop what you've already done. Right. Legitimize all this work you've already put into it. So you're not necessarily, are you able to look at the subject objectively? Yeah, no way. And so they found something that supported the work they had already done and then put it out there. And, and that I, I don't know for a fact, but I, if I were running an investigation into something like that, this is, this is one of the things I would look at, one of the dynamics I would look at. Totally. I mean, it makes sense, right? To try and cover your ass like, oh, fuck, we fucked up, but we're so deep. In, instead, of, instead of saying, hey, we got we to gotta throw this uh, entire thing in the garbage now. Like, however, I don't know how much money and how much time they pumped into it. Probably over a million dollars if you include everyone's salaries and everything yeah. else. You know, they, I imagine they put a lot of resources into it. And, and nobody wants to go to like to the editor in chief and be like, hey, boss, we got to put all this thing. We got to put this whole thing in the dumpster now. Sorry. Did anyone get axed from that? Not that I'm aware of. That's wild to me that not even somebody got no one got axed. They, they, they aired it, too. It was out. It was published. This is like it's so crazy to me. I mean, it's as bad as like a story that like, you know, a front page story, I think, in my opinion. Right. Like a podcast. That's the new medium. Daily's like one of the top podcasts on the New York Times one. Yeah. I mean, you get the, there's obviously some, some friction uh, going on there. They had that whole thing where they let, uh, who, what was it? Tom Cotton penned an op-ed. I don't remember it. I think it was Tom Cotton. It was an op-ed about immigration and the, uh, the editor for the op-ed section got fired over that. And I mean, yeah, that's wild. This is the same New York times that published op-eds from Eric Prince, uh, Hakani, Vladimir Putin. That's wild. Sitting duly elected representative, uh, you know, a representative in Congress publish runs an op-ed uh, and, you know, it, it results in this editor getting fired. And, and I disagree with what was written in that op-ed, I sure. but firing people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, that's I don't know crazy I, in an op-ed, yeah. right? It's an opinion. Like, yeah. Well, it's an opinion, but we're also in a time where my observation is that the average reader, the average person can't tell the difference between news and op-eds. Even when it says op-ed, like very clearly, it says opinion at the top. Right on. It's just the same thing. It's all just the same paper to them. It's all just the news to them. And, and I think the average person doesn't really distinguish the difference. Um but then the, the flip side also, I have to say, I, I think the New York Times and the Washington Post as well sometimes publishes reprehensible op-eds, like just horrible, horrible stuff that never should have seen print. Right. And what that does is it, it, um, it delegitimizes all the hard work that you have some honest journalists doing for the paper. Um, because, as I said, people can't tell the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, media literacy or illiteracy is definitely an issue for sure. I think like more and more like people probably didn't think of it as being a problem, but you see it obviously more and more now where like, yeah, you don't know what's this news or opinion, like what the fuck, you know, what is what, right? And, you know, people, you know, news companies for better or worse, they headline stuff, they make stuff snazzy, you know, and it's definitely not the utility, I guess, that, you know, when they gave like the news channels to, or like the channels early on, like the, 
the United States government gave it to the these companies like NBC, ABC or whatever, like gave it to them as a utility, right? Like as to be able to tell people and give people the news and information. And right, like the the opinion-based stuff and the news stuff is hard to discern. Yeah, and we're we're like in a really shitty feedback loop too because uh, there's a problem with media literacy that exists, but at the same time, what is the media doing? They're trying to draw those people in. So that's where you get things like clickbait or, or, you know, uh, sensational headlines, yeah. things like that. Like they're trying to draw people in. Um, they're trying to create these juicy narratives. Uh, and, and you know, we can see the results. Yeah. I mean, the results are pretty fucking bad. Like, and it's so polar opposite. It's kind of wild to me. And everyone fucking hates each other. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the that's the byproduct. That's the that's what happens. Like, it's so like you can't even sit and have a like a legit discussion with somebody you disagree with on whatever the case is. It's always like, fuck you. No, it's like a fuck you match. You know, listen, I get pissed. I'm fucking. I run my mouth right, but I'm always open to listening to somebody who like knows what they're talking about, right? And like who I, you know, who's who's arguing or debating in good faith that's the most important thing to me is good faith because i'm not like i'm not married to the democrat like whatever they do is fucking no they're fucking crooked motherfuckers too you know what i mean yeah yeah and i i like to i like to hear uh arguments even if they're opposing arguments from people who know what they're talking about and, and have studied the subject it's like i was saying earlier i'm not a law enforcement expert uh, if somebody who is a law enforcement expert has a counter point of view that they'd like to express, I'm perfectly happy to to listen and hear them out because maybe they have something important to say there. Um, but yeah, so often, like you said, it's it's a fuck you match, and then and then you throw social media in there, and all of these companies has they've essentially monetized this race to the bottom, like this destruction of our own country. They have monetized yeah. us fighting each other forever <laughs> on the most asinine stupid things all right. the time you know and it's like yeah so it's a race to the bottom yeah it's scary to me like you know whatever people think of new york times or washington post wall street journal these are like legacy newspapers right we need them to do the right thing as best as they can i'm not saying people are going to be perfect but like you said with the sunken cost thing like if they knew there was some issue before they released this and then they went back to be like okay maybe we could fucking line this up where it makes kind of sense to me that's fucking crazy it's not like the new york times is probably profitable now right they have a paywall they have the daily their podcast that they make money off of they're probably doing better than they did ever like in the last 20 years i'm assuming right because they've we don't know i mean i think the media overall is in a crisis I'm, i'm not sure if they're profitable or not um, to be uh, totally honest, they're independent, right? They're they're not owned by like one of the big conglomerates. I don't think. I don't think so either. Um, the Washington Post supposedly they're profitable. Again, um, yeah. Well, I mean, Bezos said that like a couple of years ago. I saw him in some fucking talk or whatever. He said that they were profitable again. But even like a guy like Bezos, sure, you're like Lex Luthor and shit. Like, okay, take what he says with a grain of salt, right? Because he's always going to have his own agenda. But if I'm Bezos and I buy the Washington Post, I'm going to be like, hey, get shit right before anything else, right? Like, I don't put, you know, truth over profit. I know, like, that's crazy to say in this world, but, like, 
I think they'll be infinitely more successful in the long term if their reputations aren't destroyed in the short term for a couple of brand deals on a podcast. Man, right. the, 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 the real deal, I mean, of course I agree with you, uh, but the, the real deal is like no one has figured out this media landscape thing. And there is so much anger with the media. Like, like, I think everyone in the country pretty much hates the media at this point. However, you define the media, because that's another thing. What do we mean when we say that? Right. I think for our discussion, we're talking about the press. We're talking about news media, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone's so angry at, 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 the, at the media, and they feel like the media is not telling their preferred narrative, whatever that is. So if the, the press tells you something you don't want to hear, that's fake news, you know, and they don't realize that as a journalist, if you're a good journalist, you know, my job isn't to be your friend. Right. And if I write something and you call me an asshole because I wrote the truth, I don't fucking care. Right. I don't give a shit. That's I did my job. Saying. Yeah. That's your problem. You know, or good thoughts and prayers. Um, but everyone, everyone's pissed off about it, and and no one has figured out what model we're gonna have in the future. Or, or are we in a post-truth society? Like we're we're in a post-factual society. Like we no longer care. Right. And and there's an interesting article. Uh, was it in the New York Times or was it in the New Yorker? Um, but it was about Substack. Did you uh -huh. read? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, Substack seems to be the new, right? Like emerging kind of platform for journalists to go. Greenwald went there, which is wild. He started the intercept and he just bounced from the intercept. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what the article say, like, what was the whole, I don't, re I don't remember reading the article. I, re I know what Substack is though. It, it was just saying that this is like the new atomization of the media and people are going there um, and they're finding quality content. And it's a place where like individual journalists can go yeah. uh, and, and some can find success. Um, you can find like kind of semi-stable monthly income. And the company is also trying to do like a hybrid as far as the relationship with these journalists that like, if you're prolific enough or you're popular enough, they will offer you a cash advance. They will offer you um, a healthcare plan, things like that. But at the same time, you're dependent on attracting subscribers right. to your particular service. Um, is that the future of news? I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this though. Um, as much as I'm, I'm like the, I get like my libertarian, you know, pseudo anarchist hat on that I, yeah. that I, I like the idea that everyone's out there doing their own thing. Um, there are some projects journalistically that are so big that you can really benefit from having a team of journalists and having a really strong editor on. And that's the sort of thing that a big newspaper can do that some of these new models uh, are never going to be able to, or I don't think are going to be able to accomplish anytime soon. Right. Um, big those big investigative pieces if you think about uh you know like uh the pentagon papers and, and things like that like or the I, uh the, the panama papers too like that uh they had like a they had a bunch of like different uh newspapers and news media companies working on that there were hundreds of journalists were crazy yeah. mm -hmm. no i'm with you right like the investigative side i mean with the substack people like you know lone wolfing it basically going off on their own Will, you know, will they maybe some of them work together on big stuff? Maybe. I don't know. But like, right. Like you said, like having those institutional ones, like, you know, 
five reporters on a story with an editor and with researchers, yeah, you're going to dig way deeper than one dude working on a story. I can tell you uh, my, I, I have been that guy in a lot of ways, sort of, um, I don't want to say lone wolfing it because I've had, I've had help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I work with some people today that, that, you know, help me out uh, tremendously, but for the most part, I, I, I haven't had a lot of like strong um, editorial direction <laughs> in my career. I've, I've, I've been very lucky in the sense I kind of pick what stories I want to write. Right. And I can pretty much whatever the hell I want. Um, but the, the few experiences I've had where I've worked directly for an editor um, or and I'm actually working on something now with another journalist um, doing like a, a, we're teaming up on a, on a story. Um I, I can see the value in it. I, I can, um, you know, there's, there's just a, a lot of value there. Um, people looking at things with a fresh set of eyes or looking at it from a different perspective can really add a lot of value to the story. Um, especially for someone like me, I get really obsessed about details and things like this. And yeah. you know, I'm looking through like two toilet paper tubes. Um, it's good so- to have like a wide angle lens on everything. Like somebody fresh coming in, they could bring in some, suggest something that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, like for New York times, right. To New York times, like, so for them to fucking do it for like a money reason, or maybe not a money reason, like you said, like the producers of it were probably like, fuck, I'm going to get fucked. And like, you know, let's get this out. I think it should, I think truth should rule there. Right. Like finding the truth there. That's your credibility. That, that's their currency, dude. You know what I'm saying? Besides like their quarterly fucking earnings or whatever the fuck, their credibility is huge. And then not many people are doing like a like they're not not many people are talking about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's a lot of anger again, uh, I find towards the media and towards journalism. But if you sit down and talk to people like so. You're call, You're saying the New York Times is, is fake news, not you personally. No, yeah, sure. In general, what are some articles you've read in the New York Times that you felt were fake news that were factually inaccurate? And people will look back at you and they can't really answer that question. Yeah. Oh, it's there's like this ecosystem out there that tells you you're supposed to be angry at the media or at the press, but people don't necessarily know why. Uh, and, and that, that comes out very quick when you say like, so, you know, where, where, what's this like fake news that you've read recently? Like you, you read this in like the Atlantic, uh, you, you read, you read this in the New Yorker, you read this in the New York times, Washington post, and those people who hate the media the most, they never read the news. Right. They don't, they don't, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, that's just my observation. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And that's like, when you're like the you're talking to somebody about it and they they say they think that like oh yeah they just say fake news and like they think that's like a coverall for like oh no it's just fake like they could just brush it off while wow. like a lot of people are working their dicks off like every day to come up with a story like uh who I love she's awesome is Maggie Haberman from New York Times who's a White House she's the shit dude she's so good and she's such a good writer and she's just a great reporter what's that seems like she's writing like every day too oh my god she doesn't stop dude and somebody like that like we need people like that and for so so people who watch newsmax and own and fucking are on q and on like 4chan or wherever to just 
nah, it's fake news. That's bullshit. Like they're liberals. They, they just have an agenda kind of thing. Like journalists want to get shit right. And they want to continue to be journalists, right? Like they want to continue their career. So you should take a little bit of like, you know, you should be happy that they're trying to self-serve themselves and write a good story, you know, get the truth out there. And like, if they, they you know, if they're writing about a specific president or they're writing about a specific political ca- campaign or whatever it is, and the truth comes out that hurts that person or hurts their campaign, it is what it is. They did their job. It's, it's, you're seeing this split. It's a, it's a culture. It is a culture war, a cultural war going on in America. Um, and you'll see, you know, the, the New York times and, and other, other institutions that, and, and we can say the media and the big picture to include television, movies, the press, et cetera, all these conversations that they have about transgenders, about the LGBT community, things like this. Um, you have people in the rest of America, like one out of four Americans defines themselves as Christian evangelical. When they look at the media, they see, they do not see themselves, right? They do not see themselves reflected there in any shape or form. And so they see, well, you're talking about transsexual people who make up 0.02% of America. Um, and I'm not saying that's not an issue or that they're, they're, they shouldn't have rights or I'm not, look, I'm fine with the LGBT folks. Right. I'm not, shouldn't talk about that but i'm saying there's a whole huge portion of america that just feels like they're completely invisible um and that their voice is not being heard and now whether or not that's true you can debate that back and forth um but if we talk about representation in the media you, you you don't see so many christian evangelicals yeah no you're not seeing that you know no i mean in like the mainstream Listen, compared to like what transgender people and like stories about that and the, like, no, it's it's definitely not balanced at all. And, and like and- you said, like it's it's not a big deal. Like you want to be transgender, fine, right? You're not hurting anybody. What you know, freedom to you. But like you said, twenty five percent of people that see themselves as evangelicals, they don't get represented. That's yeah, I can understand their their frustration, you know, and why they resent the news. What, when, when, what's the answer? Um, what's the answer? You know, at the same time, are we going to say uh, these institutions should have, you know, should they, they have more coverage of middle America? Um, but at the same time, we're saying these institutions are dying and they're obsolete. And now everyone's right. on Substack. I mean, as a, as a culture, we ourselves don't have any solutions or any idea of yeah. where the hell, supposed to be going no we i I mean i couldn't tell you i mean listen i think it's good that we have options i think people i mean it's hard it's easy to say i don't know if people could really do it being literate in terms of like me like you said like between news and opinion right like fox news tries to dance on his fucking razor blade with like the nighttime primetime shows where they pay their bills is all opinion but they're still talking about the news but they're giving their opinion and then the daytime people are kind of news they do yeah. have some opinion people that come in, you know, it's like that, like, that's the thing you struggle with, right? Like having to discern. And if I could give any piece of advice and we can debate about the media um, all day and all night, but if I was to give any piece of advice, I tell people disconnect their cable. Don't, don't watch that shit. Uh, c- cable te- or cable news 
it's worthless. It's unwatchable. Um, the, it, it's like if you watch that stuff, I feel like you're smoking a carton of cigarettes every day. Like, don't do it. Don't yeah, do it's it. rough, man. Like, it's tough. It's not. There's some people that I go with, like I get and I can like kind of see, but then like they take it too far and it's like, oh, I can't. You know, like unless you're watching like a six o'clock news program, right? Like the half hour nightly news that can kind of go. Okay, I guess they give you just like like the what's going on and get out. Like PBS or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, PBS is solid. Um in terms of news, like the only news I watch really is like the hill I like. Like uh just it's a website. It's not even like uh you know the hill. Right, yeah. Like rising, I like them. What else? Intercept, I like reading shit. Like, you know, I try to like I'll get stuff from CNN too, but I like I always Whenever I see something from CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Newsmax, and OAN, I don't don't even bring that near me. But like you, I always take it with a grain of salt, right? Like, but you know, you do stack other companies more over other ones, right? Like, so if you see something from New York Times, like Maggie from New York Times, like you're like, okay, this has some teeth to it. This is like something you should probably believe. Yeah, yeah, and I. I, I agree with you. Um, I just think that it's, it's an interesting conversation. Like as far as like the bylines, like you're saying this, you know, this one journalist is really good and I, I'm with you. And, um, you know, I selfishly, I, I would hope that I could be that sort of person that you totally. know, be like, Oh, Jack, you know, he, he's pretty, he's pretty good. I think your shit is good, man. Listen, you, you have to deal with, right. You, you bring all your stuff towards like veterans and military stuff. Right. And like, especially the last few years, like you've been critical of Trump, rightfully so. I'm sure you've been catching so much shit for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but I, I think the average the average reader out there, they again, they just see it's news. It's all sort of the same thing. It's all kind of coming from the same place. I don't think they really tell the difference like, oh, this this journalist is good. This one is bad or this journalist is good on these subjects, but not on these subjects. To them, it's all just, you know, in air quotes, the media. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Most people aren't looking at it like, yeah, one off. Like the Substack thing, I guess, is where that comes in. Like if you really are, you know, balls deep into a specific journalist, not not literally, figuratively, uh, you know, you subscribe to their Substack or you follow them specifically. You're writing for radio.com, right? You like that? How are you enjoying that? Yeah, man. I've been there for over a year at this point, specifically for uh, a website owned by them. It's uh, connectingvets.com. And so I write a lot about veterans issues, write a lot about the military. Uh, occasionally, I get to write about insurrections. <laughs> and the fun stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been very lucky. You know, They've given me a lot of uh, leeway to write different types of stories. Um, writing even long form stories and, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a very small team, but I got to work with, uh, some folks that are really good, really talented, uh, other, you know, young, uh, young journalists, uh, at the website, um, Abby, Libby, Julia, uh, and then there's a couple dudes who do, um, radio and podcasting stuff, Phil and, uh, Rod. Um, so it's a small team, but we're, we're nimble. No, we I mean, that's how you do it. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you have the podcast too, right? The team house. Yeah. The team house I, I, is uh, something I do on my, uh, you know, on my own. Okay. 
uh, with my partner, uh, Dave Park, who's usually sitting over here on, on my right. Uh, and we do that here in the studio on Fridays, and we interview people from the special operations world, um, people from the intelligence community, stuff like that. Yeah, you have some dope interviews. Uh, I connected with uh, HK Roy. He was awesome. Yeah, I want him to, he's going to come on in February. He's great, man. I have his book right here. American. I have his book too. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's great, man. And, uh, you know, he's one of the better CIA interviews we've done because he got a lot of information cleared through their public review board. So you know, he's able to talk about like handling strategic assets and like all the planning that goes into how you set, set up a meeting to meet with a, a source, an asset clandestinely. Like, yeah, you'll, you'll get a kick out of that. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a chill guy too, like real like laid back dude. Yeah, yeah. Ask His book is good. Uh, Iranians trying to have him knocked off. Dude, that shit is, yeah, I'm, that's the first thing I'm going to ask. I'm like so excited to ask him about that. Yeah, yeah. It's so intense. So last thing about the Capitol. Do you think there's like Congress people like helped? Like, you know how they're saying like they had tours come in the day before, you know, with COVID too, they have tours like wild, right? Like they have to have some kind of clearance to do that. What do you think? So straight up, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if um, that happened. There are accusations that congressmen were helping, um, were either involved in some of the rioters, uh, and, and there are allegations that they were helping them. There are allegations that they toured some of them through the Capitol building complex the day prior. Um, I can tell you that they did have people inside the building. Uh, Representative Mickey Sherrill, from across the river over New Jersey. Um, she's spoken out publicly saying that, that she's very suspicious tours being done. Um, I have identified some evidence that there were, uh, well, I can just say, I, I know for a fact that there was um, a special forces veteran who was on one of those tours on January 5th. And then he was with the rioters at the Capitol building the next day. I read your article. Yeah. But was there a, a recon? Was, was there a recon being done of the building? Is that what they were there for? That I don't know. You know, journalistically, I got to stick to what sure. I know versus what I don't know. And, and this, I don't know. I don't know for a fact right. that, that happened, that, that, that it was a recon being done. Um, so you know, maybe, maybe we'll uh, turn up the facts of the matter. Maybe it'll come out during now 30 lawmakers have signed off. They want an investigation. So I'm sure they're going to look into this pretty in depth and we'll find something out about it. I mean, think about it, right? Put yourself in a congressperson's shoes or like a staff member's shoes, right? I'm like, yo, this is supposed to be a secure place, right? Like the vice president was there. Like it's crazy to me. That's what's there. Yeah. It's um, so wild. And they, so I was asking for statements from the congressmen that supposedly had people visiting them, these Republican congressmen who had a group of visitors coming from office to office. It was uh, uh, Mike Garcia, uh, McClintock, uh, they're from California, and then from Texas, uh, there was Ronnie Jackson and uh, August Fluger. And I, Ronnie Jackson's office, and Representative Garcia's office, they said, we did not sign those people in. They came to our offices uninvited. Um, we have, we, they basically, they threw them under the bus. They're like, yeah. we have no 
acknowledged they showed up uninvited. They said that um, for visitors to come to the Capitol building, they have to be escorted by a congressman or their staff. Um, but it wasn't us. So who right. was it? Right. Which congressional representative brought those people in that day? I that mean, right. Yeah, they must have some kind of like log or something where it says, you know, oh, they're visitors of X. Yeah, of course. That is, it's crazy to me to think like you're a congressperson. You're like one of these, some of these people are, might be trying to do this, like, which is, it, it's beyond the pale. Like it makes no sense. It shouldn't be happening. I, I, again, I don't know, for right. it, but I would be, I honestly, I would be pretty surprised if there was a congressman, a representative, uh, a congressional representative that was colluding with people for planning an insurrection. I would be pretty shocked if that turned out to be true, especially how cavalier that they would have been about all of this. Right. Like, like bringing the people in the day prior, like that's pretty bold. Yeah. And you know that's going to be discovered, right? right? Yeah, it's so, dumb. It's so dumb. Yeah. I, so I would be shocked if that turned out to be what happened, but I've been shocked before. Sure. You know, yeah. World sometimes. Right. Um, so it re remains to be seen. Trump impeached the second time. What do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I think it was warranted. I, I, I think it was definitely warranted um, that he wasn't citing insurrection. Uh, but I also think it's somewhat performative this late in the game. You know, I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to get a conviction, mm -hmm. uh, but I understand why they did it. And it was, it was probably the right thing to do at this point. Yeah. Uh, considering what he was doing. Yeah. I don't, I can't see the conviction happening. 17 Republicans. No way. Yeah, they need like 30, right? No, they need uh there's 50 Democrats and there's 50 Republicans. They need 67. 67. Total. Yeah. So they need 17 Republicans. Like I can't, they got 10 in the house out of 190, whatever, 200 Republicans. So if you just use those percentages, it's not going to happen. Yeah. in like McConnell and then they, they're always waffling, trying to like, eh, you know. full of shit, dude. Yeah, yeah. There is not a thing that time in the day that when that guy's not full of shit. <laughs> and he's just freaking out because the corporate sponsors are like, you know, starting to, you know, turn off the spigot, the money spigot. So that's why he's like, oh, no. Man, I mean, what did they say that, that these insurrectionists, they got within like, what, 60 feet, 70 feet? Yeah. President. Crazy. 60 feet. You got to assume, right? Like if they got closer, Secret Service is opening up on them. Well, that, that's why that woman got shot. Right. Yeah. That was the big thing, too. There was some kind of rumor that that was like first layer of security to Pence where he was. Uh, I, I think that's probably what was going on there. Yeah. Because the guy was playing close too. He wasn't in his, uh, he was like in a suit. It was a, it was a Capitol police uh, officer. Right. Yeah. But he wasn't in his uh, uniform. He was in like plain clothes. I believe so. I'm almost sure about that. I think you're right. Because yeah, I was saying that to my buddies. My buddies were laughing at me. I'm like, what do you guys think? The guy was in the fucking room. They didn't drive him off. You know what I mean? Like there's people surrounding the building. Probably They're not going to drive him back to the Naval Observatory there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I was talking to a Secret Service agent and he was saying um, they are not authorized lethal force at the Capitol building 
or interestingly, the White House either. So they, they're not authorized lethal force to defend the building. But if it's to defend the vice president or the president, yeah, of course. Yeah. And you got a mob like they're opening up. No doubt about it. I mean, they were screaming, hang Mike Pence. It's so crazy to me. Yeah, that's it is, it is because they weren't even coming after like Pelosi. They were coming after McConnell and Pence because they were, you know, traitors right. to, you know, God Emperor King Trump. That's nuts. It's so crazy, man. I would never would have thought like and you see like the set up green zone now for the for the inauguration. Like, where are we? Like, are we are we in Baghdad? Oh, they brought in what was it like twenty thousand troops? Oh my god! And I saw the numbers. Right, I saw somebody tweet. They wrote twenty five hundred in Iraq, twenty five hundred in Afghanistan, a thousand in Syria, and twenty thousand in DC. Fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, that's what happens when, you know, I'm a political science major. So you you challenge the power of the state, and this is what happens. Right. You know, you're you're directly challenging the legitimacy and the authority of the state. And now you've awakened to that Leviathan and the state is going to do whatever it has to do to hammer down um, insurrectionists. Uh, you know, even if it's a display of force, which is kind of what they're doing at this point, saying, hey, we're in charge here. You sit down and shut the fuck up. Like that, that's what states do. Yeah. You know, George Carlin, I think it was uh, said, power is going to do what power wants to do. Right. And if you fuck with them, yeah, they're going to come at you. Also, like, did you see that other thing where they had some report supposedly like a week before that they thought that they would probably get violent in the Capitol? They said it was a Capitol police intelligence report. I don't uh, know if they have that. No, supposedly that's the case that they knew that, you know, it could possibly get to the point where it was violent. And they had like the same amount of people like as any normal day in terms of like security, which is crazy to me. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, those those cops got overwhelmed. You it's know? fucking nuts. Yeah, what are they supposed to do? They they did they did I guess the best they could. But right. <laughs> it's like fucking. Uh, you know, you're you're holding off against uh, uh, what's his face, King Xerxes. Yeah. And right. Thousand <laughs> pushing through the ten thousand immortals. Yeah, um, the sea of humanity coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So you're not cute, Jack, right? You could say it right here, right now. I'm not. I can go on the record and tell you I am not cute. All right, good. Thank God. What else you got? Anything else? You want to plug something else? Man, no, not really. You know, I, I think we talked a little bit about uh the team house and, and my books and my my work. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on for real, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you inviting me. And, uh, you know, hopefully we do it again sometime and we can actually like meet in studio I'm down. and, and bullshit. You know, we come in here, drink some beers or something. I'm in a hundred percent, man. You let me know. Let's keep in touch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to Jack Murphy. You're a gentleman. Thank you. Thank you, sir. See you later. Take care, man.